You're listening to a podcast from Northeast Christian Church. For more information about Northeast, go to ncclex.org. Thanks for listening. Have you ever thought about Easter kind of as the Rodney Dangerfield of holidays? Do you know what I'm talking about? It gets no respect. I mean, when you think about it, I mean, truthfully, Easter compared to all the other holidays kind of is an afterthought. I mean, think about Halloween. Halloween starts about a month early, and there is all of these costume stores that pop up, filling empty spaces in the mall. There are haunted houses that pop up all around the county. And then we have that, uh, we buy our costumes, we go to costume parties, we, some of us even wear our costumes to work, that's a little weird, but we do it anyway. And then we have the big night, trick or treat, right? And we take our kids out and we get candy. The experts tell us that we will buy 600 million pounds of candy at Halloween. That's a lot of candy. That's a good holiday right there. Then there's the 4th of July. Think about the 4th of July. We start buying fireworks because every retail parking lot has this tent that shows up and they're selling bombs out of it. And we just start buying it, right? And then on the 4th of July, it actually gets here, and some of us who are very disciplined, we get up and run the Bluegrass 10,000. And then some of us, we go to the parade. And all of us, at one point or another, most likely are going to visit or host a cookout on that day. There's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of food, and then when it gets dark, we're going to go watch the fireworks, or we're going to light up the sky ourselves. They tell us that we spend $1.09 billion on fireworks. That's a lot of bottle rockets right there. But probably the biggest holiday of all is Christmas. I mean, think about it. Right after Halloween, they start prepping stores for the Christmas season, shopping season, right? And then we pause for a few minutes on Thanksgiving to eat some turkey, and then Black Friday hits. And we launch the Christmas season in full throttle, right? There's all kinds of things that we're doing. There's Christmas shopping, there's Christmas parties, there's Elf on the Shelf, there's family traditions, there's decorating the tree. Your school may have a winter holiday, but we know that's a Christmas program. And then you, uh, and then we have church programs, and then it all culminates on Christmas Eve service, right? And whatever your tradition is, Christmas Eve... It signals the start of opening packages. Now, some of you are purists, and you don't open until the next morning. But some of you, you can't help it, and you start opening packages on Christmas Eve. And we're opening packages all the way through the middle of the next day. Let's face it. Christmas is the granddaddy of all the holidays. And then you have Easter, which seems like this afterthought of all the holidays. I mean, compared to all these other holidays. Let's be honest. From year to year, we don't even know when Easter is going to happen, right? Do you know what day it's going to be on next year? I don't. Christmas, 4th of July, Halloween, they all get a lot more attention. On Easter, we get up and we hunt for some eggs. We look for our Easter basket. We put on our church clothes. We go to an Easter worship service. Then we go home for dinner or we go out for dinner. But at the end of that meal, that signals the official end of Easter. Think about it. 
It's the one holiday where we remember and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, arguably the greatest, the greatest miracle that ever happened. And we give it a whole half a day, maybe. I can almost hear Rodney Dangerfield saying, in honor of Easter, I get no respect. This isn't the first time that Easter's gotten snubbed, that it didn't get much respect. If you have your Bible and you want to follow along, we're going to use 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. And here we find the Apostle Paul, he has this sense that one of the first century churches is starting to devalue the resurrection of Jesus. So Paul gives them this 10-minute tutorial in this letter on the reality and the validity of the resurrection. The Corinthians were saying something in the words like, the resurrection wasn't that big a deal, but Paul strongly refutes their arguments. Paul starts by saying, I know you don't think the resurrection is a big deal, but play this whole thing out. Take a look at the complications that would occur in our faith, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Those of you that are taking notes, we're going to really fill in notes fast, so hang with me. You ready? Here we go. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, Paul points out several problems. Problem number one, every church service ever held was useless. He says that in verse 14. Every song sung, every prayer prayed, every sermon preached, it was all for nothing, a total waste of everybody's time. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, problem number two, then our entire Christian faith collapses. It folds like a house of cards. Problem number three, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we have been lying to our family and friends every time we share our faith with them. See, if the message is a fraud, then the messenger is a fraud as well. We're just like snake oil salesmen. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, problem number four, we are still in our sin. We may not think our pile of wrongdoing has been forgiven. We may think that it has, but if Jesus has not risen, then every sin we ever committed in thought, in word, in action, is still recorded on our moral record. And it's something that we're going to have to pay for and answer for when we stand before a holy God someday. And if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, problem number five. All your loved ones who died, they didn't go to heaven. All your loved ones who died, who you thought have gone to a better place in the next reality, well, they haven't. Who knows where they are? But if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, nobody is in a place called heaven. Nobody. And then he gives us the the final problem. And he writes this, keep this in context, to a church, like many churches, was under persecution. People in the first century were being beaten and imprisoned for their faith. Some, the Bible says, were sawed in half, and some were fed to lions in the Roman Colosseum, all because of their faith. And what Paul says is that if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then we are fools. And that's a bad thing to die for. If Jesus didn't truly rise from the dead. Paul wanted that church and us today to come to terms with the fact that the entire Christian faith actually hangs on whether or not the resurrection of Jesus Christ actually happened. 
No other spiritual leader in history has been able to conquer the grave, but Jesus did. The resurrection of Jesus is the differentiating factor that sets Christianity apart from every other belief system in the world. Think about the cemetery for a moment. I know it's a real pick-me-up illustration, but hang with me. No matter how great the person was, how talented, how attractive, how influential, how intellectual, you get the idea, how great they were, they all end up in some kind of casket six feet underground. All of us do. That's the same for every burial of every person in every cemetery. Almost. In 1994, Ann and I were privileged to go to uh, tour Israel. And while we were in Jerusalem, we got to visit the garden tomb. That's where they claim that Jesus was actually buried. That's where his body laid for three days. And you know what's cool about this tomb is that you can actually walk up to it and look inside of it. And you can see that it's empty. As a minister, I do lots of funerals. And I know that when the service at the gravesite is completed that we will leave and eventually, showing respect, they wait, but they will come. The, the grounds crew at the funeral, at the cemetery, they will come and they will lower the casket and then eventually they will fill that hole in with dirt. And I'm pretty confident that the person that we have just buried is going to stay right there. I've done a lot of funerals. Nobody's ever come out of the grave. But when you stand at the garden tomb there in Jerusalem, you realize that Jesus actually came out of that tomb. It's a powerful place. It actually happened in history. Well, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul finishes listing all these terrible consequences if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. And then he writes verse 20, which simply says, but Christ was indeed, has indeed been raised from the dead. Paul validated this truth that Jesus rose from the dead by giving six pieces of eyewitness testimony that were evidence that Jesus' resurrection actually happened. There were these eyewitnesses, individuals and groups, that were testimonies that Jesus actually rose from the grave. Very quickly, in verse 5, he says, Simon Peter saw him. And also, the twelve disciples saw him. In verse 6, we read that there was a crowd of 500 people who saw him. Most are still living, Paul says, as if to imply to his readers, the Corinthian church, hey, why don't you, if you doubt what I'm saying, just get with a few dozen of these people and interview them? Because they'll tell you the exact same thing that I'm telling you. He rose from the dead. Verse 7 says, James saw him. Why did he single out James? Well, he's not talking about James the apostle. He's talking about James, the half-brother of Jesus, one of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. And then he says, all the apostles saw him. And then in verse 8, Paul says that he, the Apostle Paul, saw him. Paul saw him. He saw him with his own eyes. Paul believed in the resurrected Jesus in every fiber of his body. And he would proclaim it until the day he died. 
In fact, if you know much about Paul's story from history, he boldly proclaimed the resurrection of Jesus until they killed him. They had to murder him to get him to stop talking about Jesus, the resurrected Christ. I think the Apostle Paul may have had as good a grasp on the significance of the resurrection of Jesus than maybe anybody in all of history. And if you spend some time studying this passage, it'll increase your sense of awe and wonder at the miracle of the resurrection as well. So Paul points out that there are problems in our faith system if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. And he spotlights six of them. Prior to that, he kind of set the table with six different individuals and groups who were eyewitnesses who say he did rise from the dead. When we look at these six problems, we realize that the resurrection provides answers for all six. And every one of these answers is a profound blessing for the person who follows Jesus. The first answer that the resurrection provides is for the first problem that Paul pointed out. And it's simply, because Jesus did rise from the dead, you have the promise of his presence. Don't sleep on that. When Paul said that if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then every part of every church service that's ever been held was a ridiculous waste of time. But because Jesus did rise from the dead, his promise in Matthew 18, 20 is true. When he said, for where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. This is a miraculous truth in the Christian faith. No other faith on this earth has this promise. Jesus said, anytime any group gathers in my name, any church service, any location, any culture, any language, anywhere in the world, he says, I am going to join that gathering with my supernatural, miraculous presence. And I'm going to make myself available to every person in that gathering. He's here today. If you're open to it, he says, I will come near to you. I know many of you have had that experience where you went into a worship service or a Bible study or a prayer time and you felt like there was God right in the midst. I've experienced that personally on many times. But when I was thinking about this message, my mind went back about 30 years to one of the most impactful uh, moments in my life. It was a Wednesday night worship service at the church where I worked, and up in the corner, in the far right side of the balcony, that's where I was standing during worship. I came that night, and I had a burden on my heart. The message that evening wasn't all that memorable. To be honest with you, I don't remember anything about it. I'm sure it was a great talk. I just don't remember any of it. I didn't go that night thinking that I'd experience the presence of God, but that's exactly what happened. During worship, all of a sudden, I sensed the Lord was ministering to me. He was lifting this burden off of me. I just stood there during worship, filled with so much gratitude. My heart was so full, and I didn't want it to ever end. It was a powerful moment in my life. I left there that night. My heart and my mind were different because of that experience that night. Now, how do you explain that? Well, some might say you're crazy, and that's okay. But I recognize the promise that Jesus made. 
that wherever the church gathers, anywhere in the world, he'll be there, right there in their midst. We can encounter the risen Christ. He will be available to meet with us and connect with every single person who's there to meet their needs. And that could happen for you today. Some of you limped in here. You could have, I mean, seriously, you could use an encounter with the Almighty. Christianity is the only faith system in the world that promises this. When we gather, the risen Christ will make himself available to everyone in that gathering. Doubters, people who've done terrible things, to everyone and anyone. They can all have an encounter with him if they're willing. So I want to make a challenge to you. I want to challenge you to make a commitment between you and God. I don't want you to fill out a card and say, hey, I'm doing this or anything. I don't, I don't even want to know about it until later. Some of you need to have an encounter with God. You need help in your life. You know that. You're desperate. You've tried everything else. Why not give God a chance? So what I'm going to challenge you to do is, is to show up at church, a worship service, even if it's not here. It's a Bible-believing church. But do it for four Sundays in a row. And when you get there, the first Sunday and the second Sunday and the third and the fourth, when you get there, I want you to go in and just sit down and say to God, I really would like it if the risen Christ would make his presence known to me today. I would really like it if this need that I feel so deeply about could be addressed by a power that's far greater than me. And then I want you to watch what God does. Just watch. See if anything happens. And if it does, I want you to come back and I want you to tell me. I'm, I'm down here at the end of almost every service just hanging out. Just come and tell me that story because I think there's going to be some amazing stories when people recognize this promise that God has made to them and they start living in that promise. All right, we need to move ahead. Second answer to the resurrection that the resurrection provides, and it's an answer to that second problem that Paul brought up, and that is this. Because Jesus did rise from the dead, we have an extraordinary faith. When when Paul said that if Jesus didn't rise, that our entire faith was a, a fabrication that folded like a house of cards. But if Jesus has been risen from the dead, then we have an extraordinary faith. We have a rock-solid faith that not only has withstood a 2,000-year-long time trial, but it's mushroomed from 12 guys and a handful of other believers in the first century to over 2.2 billion believers today. And this faith, it changes us. It prompts us to love people who we normally wouldn't love. Loving others across different faiths and different races and different socioeconomic boundaries. And This is a faith system like no other in the entire world. It's extraordinary because Jesus is part of it, and he's a game changer. Think about it. Nobody ever taught like Jesus taught. Nobody ever loved people like he did. Nobody ever healed people like he did. Nobody ever spoke against corruption and injustice as fearlessly as he did. And on top of all of that, Jesus willingly and self-sacrificially takes on the sins of all humanity when he goes to the cross. He takes it all on himself and he dies an atoning death for you and me. And then, to go even further, he conquers the grave. Proving that this whole thing is true. Folks, 
We have an extraordinary faith. There's no other faith system in the world like it. Well, there's a third answer to, that the resurrection provides for the third problem that Paul pointed out, and that is because Jesus did rise from the dead, then every time you share this message with anybody, you're offering them eternal life. When Paul said that if Jesus wasn't raised, then when we share our faith with our family and friends, we're liars. We're just like smoke, a snake oil salesmen. If the message is a fraud, then we're a fraud. But Paul says, wait a minute. Jesus did rise from the dead, proving that the whole faith thing is real and it's true. So every time you share the message of Christ with anybody, you are offering them the opportunity of a lifetime. In fact, you are offering them the opportunity of an eternal lifetime. The greatest gift you can give another human being is the introduction to Jesus who loves them. Because in that gift, it'll transform them for all eternity. It increases their capacity to love others. It provides guidance for their life and a purpose for everyday living and the promise of everlasting life in heaven. It's the most radically transforming message in the world. And if you offer it as a gift to another human being, this introduction to God who loves them, they will quite possibly thank you forever. This is a big deal. Well, there's a fourth answer that Paul gives us. And that is that because Jesus did rise from the dead, anybody can have their entire sinful past canceled out. This is really important. Paul says, hey, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead proving that he's God's son and could wash away your sins then you're still accountable for that huge mountain of sin that you committed. In my case, because my mountain is kind of big, that's kind of terrifying and paralyzing when I think about it, living with it every day. Now, my sin pile isn't as big as the people in the band. I mean, let's not get carried away, right? That's some big big sin back there. But I got a pretty good-sized pile. And if I think about it, and I have to carry it on my back every day and worry that I have to be accountable for that, I'm not forgiven for it, I'm going to stand before a holy God and face judgment someday, this can be incapacitating. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. And through Jesus' sacrifice, anybody can have all of their sin, their entire sinful past canceled out, washed away. This is such a big deal because it sets us free to live each day, no longer burdened by the guilt of your past. The psalmist says in Psalm 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Every time you look at a sunrise in the east or every time you look at a sunset in the west, I want you to be reminded that as far as the east is from the west, God remembers your sins no more. The Bible tells us that if you have a relationship with Jesus, your sins are washed away. And then in Hebrews 8:12, God says, "For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more." The good news this Easter is that because Jesus has risen, 
we can live every single day with the rock-solid assurance that our debts have been paid in full. And that's an extraordinary way to live. It's an extraordinary faith because of what Jesus did. Well, the fifth answer that the resurrection provides for the fifth problem that Paul pointed out is because Jesus did rise from the dead, the same power will raise every Christian. When Paul said that if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, then all bets are off. Where are your loved ones who died before us? We don't know where they are if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. But praise God, he conquered the grave. Listen to what Romans 8, verses 10 and 11 says. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Paul says the very same power that raised Jesus back to life from the grave will be the very same power that's going to be applied to every Christ follower who dies in Christ. The very same power that resurrected Jesus is going to resurrect you for a life lived in eternity in God's presence. And I have to tell you that this means more to me today than it ever has before in my life. Maybe it's got something to do with age, but I think it has more to do with an event that happened in my life. Two years ago, my dad passed away. Some of you know he battled Alzheimer's disease for about seven years, and on April the 29th, 2016, he went to be with the Lord. My dad had a great sense of humor. He was an amazing storyteller. And he was one of my biggest supporters. My dad was proud of me and was always rooting for me. And I valued every opportunity I got to spend with him. So when he died, this just left this huge hole in my life, as it did for a lot of people who knew him really well. And on top of all this, I was tasked as the one who was to do his funeral service, which was a tremendous honor, but it was also an incredibly emotional experience for me. So many of you here at Northeast, you prayed for my family and for me, and you encouraged me, and you loved me, and I am so blessed by that, and I am eternally grateful for what you did for us during that time. But you know what truthfully got me through all of that? What got me through all of that what would have otherwise been this terribly sad time, was I kept remembering that I'd see Dad again. The very same power that brought Jesus back to life has brought my dad back to life. He's in the presence of God. The very same power that brought my dad back to life will bring me back to life again someday. And I'll be reunited with my dad and my family and friends who also put their faith and trust in Jesus. This is a big deal to me. Because the death rate in the United States, now I'm not an expert on other countries, but I do know this, the death rate in this country has remained consistently at 100%, okay? And the thing that you need to be mindful of is that that death rate is still 100%, and you will not be the exception to that. Every one of us are going to die unless Jesus returns before that. I read an article in preparation for this message about the death of a lady by the name of Adele Dunlap. Here's a picture of Adele. 
She died on Sunday, February the 5th, 2017. But she was kind of famous, famous because before her death, she was the oldest person living in America at that time. She was 114 years of age. I wonder, do you think Adele Dunlap, when she died, that she was surprised? I mean, she's 114, right? Do you think that it caught her off guard? That she didn't see it coming? Holy cow, what happened? I just died. How'd that happen? I didn't even see that coming. See, here's the reality. You can be extremely healthy and remarkably resilient. In fact, you can live to be 114 like Adele. But you will not be the exception to the statistic that 100% of us will die. You are going to die. And the good news that we're reminded of every Easter is that because Jesus has risen from the dead, you don't have to fear death if you have Jesus. You don't have to go through this life worried about what's going to happen in the next reality because the one who conquered the grave has come back and he will tell you, he came back to tell you what has happened. And the same power that raised him is going to raise you if you put your faith in Jesus. That's an amazing promise. Absolutely amazing. Well, Paul gave us these six problems, and he, he, gives, he points out that these are real problems if Jesus didn't raise from the dead. But praise God, all six of them have an answer because of the resurrection. He did rise from the dead. And the sixth of those, those uh, answers is found in the resurrection is for the sixth problem that Paul pointed out to us earlier. is because Jesus did rise from the dead. We are among the most blessed people on planet Earth. When Paul said, if people, if Jesus, excuse me, if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then those of us who drank the Kool-Aid, we're fools. We're idiots. And he said, we should be the most, we should be the most pitied people on all, on all of the earth. But instead, we are blessed because we are part of this one true faith called Christianity. Our faith is. It says there is a God in heaven who has an irrational love for the person who is sitting in your seat. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter if you've believed in some other faith at some other time. It doesn't change the unconditional love that God has for you. You see, he sent his son Jesus on a rescue mission to atone for your mountain of sin, even though... Neither you or I deserved it. Let's be honest. And then he made that gift of salvation available as a free gift to every person. And above and beyond that, God says the same power that brought Jesus back from the grave will be applied to your life. And you'll be resurrected too for all eternity. This is an extraordinary faith that you and I get to be a part of. I don't want you to miss it if you're not part of it today. This is an extraordinary faith that we're a part of because we have an extraordinary Savior who went to the cross, died for us, and then rose from the dead. He's worth it. He's worth giving your life to if you've never done that before. And I can't think of a better day than Resurrection Sunday to give your life to Jesus. There are going to be some people down front here who would be more than happy to talk to you 
about making Jesus the Lord of your life, we're going to sing, and I want to ask you to consider accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior today if you've never done that. Would you come if you have a decision? Let's stand and let's worship the King of Kings together.